You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. Hey everyone, we're back for another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. On this week, I'm joined by Mitch Shirk from the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Mitch resides in southeastern Pennsylvania where he mainly hunts private land, but as we discussed in this podcast, Mitch shares his strategy for hunting public land as well. The two of us get into a bunch of different topics when it comes to whitetail hunting. We dove into key factors that what a property needs to have to help manage deer, his approach to his past few hunting season, getting outside his comfort zone, and his story of his 170 buck that was on a two-acre wooded lot. We wrap up this conversation by discussing what hunting means to us and his Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast that's on the Sportsman's Empire. Before we get into this episode, I want to share with you a few discount codes that will help you save some money and get ready for the upcoming hunting season. And one of those is going to be from Black Rifle Coffee Company, which is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is right around the corner, and those of you that are going to be backpacking in, the instant coffee is the best. So use code ANTLER at checkout and save 20% off your purchase or your first coffee club subscription. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Let's get into this week's episode. What's up, everybody? I'm joined on the other line uh, by Mitch Shirk this evening from the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast, fellow uh, M- Sportsman's Empire Outdoor Network guy, and I'm excited to talk to you, buddy. It's been, what, two weeks we were kind of texting, messaging back and forth, trying to get this date down? 
Yeah, it's been something like that. Uh, this time of year can get a little bit chaotic, as many people know, and I, I'm, no, I'm not immune to that by any means. But yeah, we were back and forth and setting times up. So thank you so much for having me. This is a, this is a huge privilege to be chatting with you, dude. I'm so happy to have you on because I, one, I just love talking to fellow PA guys, and I just love obviously just talking hunting on the podcast, but in general, and obviously having you a part of the the network already you've been a part of that network and we just joined here the last couple of weeks so it's exciting to kind of get a chance to know you and and just talk hunting man that's that's what i'm i'm so excited to do i was actually like i've been texting you i texted you yesterday about coming on and uh i'm 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 pumped dude so i'm excited to see where this conversation goes because I, man it's i just something hits different when you are able to connect on a even though you and I never really met, you know, we could connect just being from Pennsylvania and just knowing what it means to us, I guess here. And, uh, it just hits different, you know? Well, it's just it. And like we were talking about, like, you know, what, what type of hunting do you do this and that? Well, right away, you know, you're a diehard bow hunter. I love bow hunting. That's my favorite thing I do. Um, Hey, what, what part of the state do you hunt? Well, we figured out that we hunt some territory that's similar, have some similar, Overlaps. I mean, that right off the bat, I've you know I've said it on my show so many times. It's like it's cliche to say a brotherhood, but man, it's like you just hunters help hunters, and that yeah. communication is just ah, you just can't beat it. No, you you really can. And once and you know too, like when they're genuine, and that's the and and for the most part, everybody is. It's just you get you got to break down, I guess, that barrier, that wall, that you know, that standish offish at first. And then once you do, it's I mean. Heck, some of my best friends I've met through starting Antler Up, and that's just, it's crazy to me, and I, I'm i very thankful and fortunate about that. And, man, I've, if I ever got anything out of doing this, it's honestly that friendship and, like you just said, that cliche brotherhood because there's things that I would do for people in the drop of a dime, you know? So you've been doing this a little bit longer than me, so I have to ask you and all of the guests that you've had, how many times have you felt, as though reaching out to people, they were standoffish or almost like kind of hidden with what they, they didn't want to share too much just because like, I, I don't know if it's a localized thing, but so many Pennsylvania hunters, like the best ones that I know are the ones that are the most tight lipped. And there's like this new age of helping guys and podcasting and sharing information. And there's like certain people that are, open to sharing it. And then there's other people that are as tight lipped as they come. Like what's been your experience with that? Well, that's a good one, man. I would say for me personally, when it comes to like the localized PA hunters, everybody's been pretty good. I don't really recall one sticking out to me as far as like a local Pennsylvania guy being a tight lip type of individual. But I would say they're, I mean, going from man, 130 some episodes there, there has been a few where it's it, maybe 20 minutes in. And then once there's that, finally that break of somewhere that bear, that wall breaks down. And that's when I would honestly say people open up a little bit. And I mean, and it's their personality too, a little bit. And some of them I've had the chance oh, yeah. to actually meet in person and that's been cool. Cause then they're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? And able to maybe put two and two together. But yeah, it is definitely at times you're just sitting here like, Oh boy, what's this sound like? Cause if I'm bored or if I'm trying to pull teeth, it's, I always get not like cautious of what, what does it sound like to a listener? So, you, you know, you try your best, but honestly, man, as far as the PA hunters go, 
I, I feel like either they caught wind of the Antler Up podcast or something along those lines. So they are already interested in maybe sharing something, which is great. And that's, you know, as a host, you love that. And that's what you want because you obviously learn something as the host, but then someone's eager to tell their story, which is what I love. Like if you get on and you killed a, a great buck and you have a great story to go with it or something maybe you learn from and you would like to share that, that's the stuff that I love because there's things that I'm passionate about that I could talk on weeks and days on and, and don't have to stop. And when someone does that as well, I love that. Yeah, and too, and it's probably across the country in some degree, but like you've been in places, you've been in hunting camps, you've shared stories with people. There's like, you can think of instances where people are tight lipped about the spot they have. Like, I'm going to give you an example in camp. Like there's, there's camps I've been to that there's that one guy that just is like, he's quiet. He's not going to share you where he's going that, that he doesn't want you going to a spot and this and that. And I feel like in this world of podcasting and networking with guys and like you and me connecting or, or anybody connecting, that's, you know, big into hunting, just wants to share and help people. I've got a list of pins in my phone and stuff in places that I'd hunt that if we hunted together and be like, Hey, I think you ought to check this out and the other thing. And, you know, I, I don't really care if there's somebody in that spot because there's so much land to explore. Yeah. I, I don't care. I'll share stuff with people and, move on to the next thing. Like it's, it, it, I just feel like the dynamic is so different now than it was oh. even 10, 10 plus years ago. Oh my gosh. Yes. I re, I even remember hunting with my dad and coming off the mountain mountain. And when we would see individuals maybe walking out and if I saw a deer or not, my dad said, would say to me, say you said you saw nothing, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay. You know, so you kind of, I grew up like that in a sense. And, but I mean, now I'm like, ah, whatever. Like you just said, there's so much land. And I'll tell you what, the one thing with these podcasts, especially when it comes to scouting, that is this, the one attribute I would say in the last three, four years where I was probably like a very low level and I'm still a low level and I'm getting better and picking up certain things. And this summer, I would say this postseason, a little bit that I got out, especially back at home in the Northeastern part of the state where I was able to do a lot of work. I'm starting to see that, okay, I was right. Oh, I think this could even get better type of ordeal. And in those situations, I love when I bring friends along, especially friends that I feel very, I think are so much better at the scouting game. Uh, like, man, even like Aaron Hepler, for example, that I've had on the podcast. So I think you should definitely try to get on. He, uh, he looked at this property with me and we're walking and, and we, on our podcast, when we were sitting there, I said, you know, if you guys weren't here, I don't know if I would have kept going. You know what I mean? I would have maybe found that one, one, two scrapes, maybe dug a little bit deeper around this one, like thick edge piece where the habitat kind of changes a little bit. And I maybe would have stopped, but like having multiple guys look at it and be like, dude, I think we should go over here. Ooh, this looks like a decent spot. Let's at least go walk it. I love that. And I think mm -hmm. having more eyes on a piece where I grew up hunting a lot, I it could hopefully pay dividends. Oh, absolutely. And sharing it with people is, is fantastic. Sharing it with a mind that's better than me, which I feel like is most of the people I hunt with. But anyway, you know, <laughs> like that, that collaboration is a big thing. I also feel like you can go to the opposite end of the spectrum where I've been in hunting situations where you're with, with guys and like, I want to go and I want to check this out. I want to drive. I, I want to drive further back. I want to walk further back and check around this next Ridge or next knob. And like, 
sometimes it's like not everybody's in collaboration with that when you're in a hunting situation Mm -hmm. together. And like even at camp this past year, I had a wild, so I'll just tell you real quick. So I had, uh, I drove up on a Thursday morning. I took a Thursday and a Friday off to hunt three days up camp and I drove straight to the woods, met uh, my dad and some hunting buddies that were already out. They just got there. And I said, all right, I'm going to go my separate ways. I have this plan to do this throughout the day. And right at the end of the day, I pulled, uh, I started my truck and I pulled back out. And this is one of the, the extension roads on game lands that, you know, it's just basically a logging road that they open up. And, wouldn't you know it? I drove through a pothole and I hit this stick and this stick pops up and it lodged under my, underneath my undercarriage and didn't it hit my rubber fuel line and pop the fuel line off of the aluminum. So it left me sit. Wow. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? So, um, I, we, we went to town, got my truck all fixed up, like redneck fixed it pretty much, but got it off of the mountain for, and then I didn't trust to drive my truck back in the middle of nowhere the whole time. So for the rest of my hunt, which I lost some of it to fixing my truck, the rest of my hunt, I was with somebody else. And I quickly learned that while I enjoy the company of a lot of the guys and I enjoy hunting with them, their idea of where they wanted to go, where I wanted to go. I'm just like, from now on, if I can help it, I am driving and I'm controlling my own destiny in that sense, because we just have different mindsets, you know? Yep. That's really important because that's the one thing, Dimitri and I have hunted now together the last three, you know, four years. And that's the one thing I feel like he and I do a really good job at is we kind of have an idea of like just maybe a broad section and he'll be like, Hey, this is where I'm thinking, you know, if you're, if I'm here, this could be a good spot for you because, you know, and vice versa, you know, if I'm, I might say, here's where I'm thinking this could be a good spot. So we kind of bounce that off of each other. I mean, we're not very, I mean, sometimes we're really far away and we'll say, hey, here's where we're going going to meet back up. But then there's other times where, you know, he might just be on the other side of the ridge. And that's, you know what I mean? And that's how we kind of run things. But it is really important because it it's kind of what well, a couple of the episodes that we've heard the last couple of weeks with the hunting buddies. And, you know, I know Dan did that one more recently. And uh, it's just interesting to, to hear how different people could mesh or not mesh during during the hunting season. Gotcha. Yeah. For whatever reason, my connection here was breaking up a little bit, but you, um, I'm, I'm right with you on that one. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Mitch, let's talk a little bit about yourself then, man. Let wake, where are you coming from? Like how we both said, we're kind of, we grew up, you know, I I grew up kind of in the same vicinity where you're at now. So where, Mm -hmm. where are you located? What's the, what's your deal? I'm located down here in Southeast Pennsylvania. I grew up, uh, I could almost see Cabela's from the house I grew up in and you know, I grew up no different than everybody. I wanted to hunt whitetails and hunt everything under the sun. And, you know, as I grew older, it's, I've formed a niche in whitetails. I've always been really fascinated by, uh, by the biology. I've been fa- uh, fascinated by um, connecting habitats and seeing plant and animal interactions. So, and, and I've, I was also fortunate that growing up, um, I had, uh, I have a mentor hunting, um, you know, I've hunted with my dad, but my, his brother, my uncle, um, he is probably the person that I've, uh, followed suit with the most. He's as avid of a hunter as anybody I know. And he owns land that I've been able to learn, tinker with hunt on. And that's where my love and my my passion has, um, found, I'm going to say this, this private land, wildlife habitat, 
hunting property manipulation. I love that. Um, I went to, uh, uh, I was 18 years old. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to a trade school. I just wanted to go do a trade and that, cause that's what everybody else did. And my parents were like, no, you're, you're going to college. Um, so I was like, well, the only thing I really interested in life is hunting. So I guess I'll go the biology route. And, uh, I got a degree in biology and kind of connected plant and animal interactions. And I found myself now I'm a, I'm a, uh, agricultural consultant, um, agronomist, whatever you want to call me, but I work with, uh, row crops in Pennsylvania, private farmers and, uh, try to drive yield, try to, uh, maximize yield potential in row crops for growers and, I've been able to make a lot of agricultural connections and then bring that back into the food plot world. It's allowed me to go and tour some properties, make food plot recommendations. Um, a lot of it just starts in the soil and I, I just do a soil test and give guys recommendations where to start, but it's allowed me to then have that conversation from a hunting strategy standpoint and say, okay, I know you think this is what you want to plant, but let's, let's look at the big picture and let's zoom out a little bit of why you are doing, why you want to do this. Um, and then how can we get it done at a at affordable cost and how can we get it done um, with the equipment that you have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much into private land hunting. That's, that's definitely a big passion, but I just love hunting in general. I love public land hunting too. I still go to camp. Um, I, I'm not biased at all one way or the other. I've just gravitated towards, cause that's what I grew up. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, no doubt about that. Now, when you look at a piece, because I, I've never had the opportunity to really hunt on a, now when I go back home, I do hunt private, but it's still mountain. There's no, you know, food plots. There's no um, managed kind of agriculture features, not even like hinge cutting or anything like that. It's just, there's that piece of property. You know what I mean? So what, when you look at a piece of it, when you go to someone's house and they're asking for your advice or you go to these places, what are the key things that you think these individuals have to have if they really want to manage deer? And the reason why I ask this is because my neighbor who actually lives by me, they own a little piece of ground a, a little bit down the road. And I know they were putting in some food plots and, you know, they're not getting because uh, I just saw my neighbor the other day when we were talking and he was saying they're not getting like bucks on camera per se, but if the sun goes on public land and does the normal thing of, you know, looks at these ridge points, goes to where he thinks this could be good bedding and good trails, like he'll get bucks on their camera. But he's like, I knew we weren't going to get a lot of, you know, good, great deer on this property within two, three years. And I think they've only owned it now for two years. So they're still gaining, gaining the, uh, mm -hmm. I guess the system you, you want to say with getting it prepared uh, to their liking. But if you look at a piece, and I know you don't have anything in front of you, and I'm not giving you a lot of information regarding it, but if mm -hmm. you were to say, hey, if, if someone wants to manage deer in the smallest way, what does a property have to have uh, as far as, you know, getting it to that point? Well, that's a very loaded question. And I think <laughs> the, the thing that the thing that I gravitate towards more is I don't, I actually, when I talk to people and you talk about habitat manipulation, I don't, I don't start there. I start with hunting. I start with hunting strategy, hunting access, hunting everything, because you like, this is the, the one thing I've learned and I will, I will take to my grave. 
you cannot out habitat the hunt. What I mean by that is it doesn't matter if you have the most attractive property in the entire world, if you've got all the best food, all the best this and that, um, if you do not hunt it appropriately and you're, and let, let's tailor in mind, what are your goals and expectations? If your goal is to shoot a mature buck, which in my opinion is the hardest thing to kill in the deer woods. If that is your goal and you do not hunt your property appropriately, you're never going to have daylight mature buck activity on any capacity. Um, that, that's, that's repeatable at right. least to a point where I think you're going to consistently kill mature bucks or see them nevertheless. Um, so I find myself all the time, I ask a million questions and a lot of it revolves around, you know, what's been their experience with the property, what's been their hunting experience, how do the two relate, you know, what do you see throughout a hunting season? And then just try to, I'll just speculate in my head. Well, okay. You said in the beginning of the season, they were having good, they were having good, you know, hunting act, they were having good hunting uh, results. They were seeing what they wanted to, but it started to tail off and maybe their food plots look like this at a certain time. And like, I just kind of tailored back and then kind of work backwards from that because to me, that is the most important thing. Um, and, and you know, you'd said about your, your neighbor, if they go on public land and they, uh, they do all the things they look for, you know, trails, rub scrapes, and they hunt public land the way you and I would, they see deer, but on their, on their property, they're, they're not, well, that's probably because within the confines of the border, let's just say it's a 40 acre property. If they're going through that property on a regular basis and leaving scent and intrusion within that parcel, yeah, they're not going to use it on a regular basis in daylight hours. And in fact, I feel a property like that, if you're going to access it and hunt it, what I'm going to call wrong, um, you're better off not doing a single improvement to that property because what happens is you attract all the deer in the neighborhood. You're saying, Hey, I got the best food. I got really good cover. Come to this property. And then all you do is chase them with human sense, sight or sound. Um, they're going to, that is where nocturnal bucks have come into the picture because in my opinion, there's no such thing as a nocturnal buck. There's nocturnal properties. There's nocturnal locations, but deer crepuscular, it's been proven in so many different studies. And if, if, bucks were nocturnal they'd never get killed so yeah yeah, that's that's kind of my two cents from that yeah i like that and that was you said early on in in your answer about the access and that was actually when i was talking to him i said man i don't i don't care to hunt it i you know what i mean i I wasn't asking for permission or anything along those lines i just said to him kind of like what i said earlier about having extra eyes help me I just was like, yeah, I would love to check it out. Just see where you plan on accessing it, where you plan on maybe, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to hunt it mainly during rifle, maybe archery. I, I have no idea, honestly. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe I want to see where you're in, you know, where you're accessing these certain parts and how you would plan to maybe go to a tree stand along those lines. And he's like, oh yeah, for sure. And so I hope he does take me up on that because I, I do, I, and some other things that he mentioned, uh, like you said about, oh, putting more human scent around, you know, he's like, oh, we're, they're actually going to have enough property, I guess, to put up maybe like a, a barn type of ordeal and maybe yeah. a little piece. So I, I think it's a nice chunk, 
but not like massive, massive, probably mm-hmm. like you said, a 40 acre uh, piece. But yeah, I'm anxious to see if I have the opportunity to at least walk the ground just to get a visual for it. Cause he's like, he, he was saying they have, they have food plots. Some have taken off. Some haven't They're I think there's a nice little Creek at the bottom. And so it'll be interesting to see. And I've, you know, when I hear him talk, it's, Again, I I could look at it on my whatever mapping service I use, and it looks pretty good because there's surrounding private property, and then across a nice big old creek, there's public land, and there's good public land that's hard to get into. It's like a back little corner, and I think his place maybe over time, if they do the right thing, thing it it could possibly be a nice little spot for them. And heck, if that's where it could maybe attract more does than not, and maybe during the rut, it could bring someone in. You never know. Yeah, not every property has the capability of, you know, bringing in a booner, but I think every property has potential to at least have daylight activity of, of, of the, of the bucks that they're after in, in their area for a duration of the season. Yeah. Now you got a five acre property, you're probably not going to hold the daylight attention of all the big mature bucks, but maybe at a certain sliver of time you will. Yeah. What, uh, what's on your docket as of recently? I mean, this will be airing towards the, you know, sometime September. So the statewide, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure you don't fall in five C, right? I don't fall in five C. Well, actually I, I do, I have places I could hunt five C. Um, but I haven't hunted there in a long time just because the private land access that I had, I either, lost or i just don't take the time down there there is public land in 5c and i have hunted it but it's the phase of my life that i just don't take the time i actually just gained uh permission on a property in 2b so four hours away (laughs) but it's kind of same ordeal and it's a property i don't know that i'm going to be able to be out and actually hunt it this year in the early season but it's a property that I am extremely excited about for the future, planning ahead. But, uh, no, I was just out at that property, uh, changed batteries in a camera, put some more cameras up. Um, I seeded this one area, seeing if anything would grow. I had leftover seed from when we planted food plots, put a ground blind up there, put a tree stand up. That way I had something to go to if the wind was right in those locations. But I'm probably going to go at it from a perspective of uh, – you know, I have an idea where my access needs to be in a couple locations. And if I don't have stands there, I'll probably just take my climber or I'll take my saddle and, uh, and hunt those locations. I think it's probably going to be better suited for the rut. Just knowing what, just knowing the little bit that I know about it and also knowing how the landowners might use the property. I think it's just going to be better suited for that, but it's one of those properties where you look at and you just like, Oh, this could be something special. Yeah. So that, and, and, you know, I, I try to hunt public as much as I can. I find that my scouting is dwindled, um, just because of phase of life. I I have a couple of Fridays slotted out where I'm not working this September, hoping to make a couple day trips out, do a couple more rounds, uh, where I hunt in state land. Um, I got a couple things to, to hopefully I can help my hunting buddies with on the other properties. So it's, there, there's a lot on my list and there's not a lot of it actually getting done by me. So that's <laughs> frustrating. But. Yeah. Could be nervous, you know, all at the same time. What, um, how has like your approach to the seasons, how has that evolved for, for you over the last couple of years, like for me personally, just to kind of give you a quick little rundown, you know, obviously we always get excited. We do things and we get more scouting in, but I feel like 
I've planned, I'm trying to plan better. And after learning more things when it comes to the cold fronts and the certain pieces that you scout, you could kind of get a better picture of, Hey, this is when I think it could be a good idea of getting in an area, not necessarily saying like being married to that specific spot, but you think like, okay, Hey, if this cold front goes in, uh, my win would be great in this situation. That that is what that win's going to be. Do you really game plan at all when it comes to that? Or do you like, you know, Hey, this is where I put in a lot of time, especially when, if you're hunting more private, like how do you go about tackling your, your season because for me my private is back at home and my public's here so i kind of just i go crazy here because if i if if i ruin someone else's it's okay (laughs) to me in a sense not not ruining it but if if i think i could get into a place and if 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 i go past someone i'll go past someone or uh kind of those lines yeah so you kind of answered it within your answer there for (laughs) me but um I try my best to treat my hunting season as a marathon. And I'm like, and when I mean that, I mean with the private land properties that I hunt, I want to try to go in at my best locations at the best times. Give you an example. If I get a Northwest wind opening week, I will do everything in my power to drop what I'm doing and go to one of two specific locations. Um, They are both on food plots And they are in the core area of some mature deer that I know frequent that. And I know they frequent it because we've got history of pictures with those deer. I know if I have that wind direction, they're the access it's created. They're not going to see me, hear me or smell me. And I feel that first time in that's, that's golden. Um, You know, most of the time I'm looking for wind direction. I've tried to figure out, um, what works for me from a sense of cold fronts and moon phase. And I, I, I feel like I'm more confused now than I did when I first started following stuff like that. I still pay attention, but for me, the most important thing right now is just wind direction because I've, I've seen these spots on the properties I hunt. I know what they have the potential to do. Um, and as if I can get in and get out without being seen, heard or smelled, in my opinion, I'm in the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to, treat it from that. And, um, I'm okay waiting a week or two until I get to that best spot. Um, maybe I'll hunt a friend somewhere. Um, now the, what I'm going to rebuttal to that is my execution of that last year in 2021 was friggin' awful. It it, it was (laughs) terrible. I mean, it was not every time that I could get out to hunt, the wind was shit. The weather was crap. It was hot as hell. It was windiest. It was just, it was bad. It was just, I never had those days. I, I rarely had those days where I got in the tree and I'm like, man, this yeah. is that, this is that kind of day. But that was the time that I had allotted because that's when my wife could watch the kids. And this is when I could do this. And then every time where I wanted to be in the tree, and I, I'll never forget this. Um, one of the, one of, one of my hunting buddies, his dad came out the spot he was going to. I'm like, he is going to, it was like the last week of October. And I'm like, he is going to like, he is going to see a shooter. I, I just got that feeling. And they're, they're I'm getting the, the group text messages, like messages, like they're, they're, they're seeing, they're seeing this, they're seeing this. I'm like, he's going to see a shooter. And, and sure enough, he shot a, a great buck that night. And I was happy for him. I actually, I actually packed my son up and we went and helped them bring the deer out. And he, I was like, I don't care. Like I'm going and doing this because <laughs> I, it's just something I want to be a part of.
Yep. And then the last thing I'll say, I'm trying to learn to combine both of that. I'm trying to do my best where if I don't have the, uh, if I don't have the weather, the intel, the whatever to hunt my best spots, but I have the time to hunt, I'm just going to go on public landing. The private land properties that I hunt, like I want to try to hunt the best spots that I can when I can. But if I don't have the time um, or if I don't have the ability to get out, then I'm just, I'm learning to try to go pound some public land that I surround my house or go to camp and, you know, try to put myself in the best situation. If I scare something or chase something, I don't really, I don't okay, really who care. cares? Yeah. That's exactly, that's how I am. And kind of, so moving forward, like how you had those situations last year when you're like, Hey, this is my time. This is our allotted time. Cause I'm, I'm in the same book. Like I, I'll work Monday through Friday. So Saturday comes and it's like, man, these good spots where I think I would, would be good. You know, it might be already mid to late October and the wind sucks or the weather doesn't cooperate. Like you said, my wife's finally watching Nora, something along those lines. I've always felt like when I had those opportunities, I'll still go in. And as I'm walking in, I've always felt like, man, this I just need to get up in a tree and I've talked about it now on the podcast a couple of times. If I'm not finding what I want to see, basically I'm going to continue to go scout and maybe hunt from the ground or find what I really am looking for and searching for rather than just saying I hunted. If I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. You could get lucky. A deer could still come by, but I feel like my for this season, because I've done that, like I said, I've I've been in that same book where, all right, well, whatever, I'm not going in as far, or if I do go, I just need to get up somewhere. Where's the tree? And I'm searching for that tree to get up and put the saddle up up in there. Now, my goal this year is is that of continuously going until I find the sign that I want. How? Any other things that you? are planning on doing like that? Like how you said you go, you're going to public land. What's advice that we could give people so they don't make the mistakes that we do? <laughs> mm. I, I think it all tailors back to what your goals and expectations are throughout the season. So my goal and expectation, I'm not, I shouldn't say my expectation, my goal, I'm trying to shoot a deer that I believe is four and a half years or older. And I feel I can do that with the properties that I'm hunting. Um, I would gladly shoot a three-year-old at some of the public land pieces if I, I knew I put in all the hard work and did it a different way like hunting is hunting and a mature deer is a mature deer regardless I think it's the same thing but the the playing field is way different when you're confined to borders mm -hmm. so I, I think the thing you got to realize when you are going in the woods I think you need to figure out like when you go in a tree what, what percent chance do you think you actually have of connecting on a, on a mature deer on this sit? Like I've been in sits on at the, the private properties that I've had and the, it was a marginal win. So it's like, well, we have this stand set up for this location and I don't feel it's my, my best chance, but I'm still in the game. I'm still hunting in this general area, but I'll sit there and I'll, most of the time I'm thinking, I just don't feel like I'm in the best spot. I know it could happen and it can happen. It's hunting. Um, and and I know another example I have, you know, we're talking about the time we have allotted to hunt. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. Let's say it's an it's a, a morning sit. I've got an opportunity to hunt a Saturday morning. And if I have a due north wind, that takes out 
a lot of the main property I hunt. That's my best spot. It takes out a lot of it. So in the past, what I've done is I just won't hunt that day. I've got plenty of other season. I will just wait until the wind direction's right. Well, last year, what I found happened is I didn't hunt on so many times. And then when I wanted to, I couldn't. I, the amount of sits I had in archer season was scaled back significantly last year. And it, it hurt. It really, really hurt. So I, I think you got to make your own luck, but I think you got to c- cater your expectations. If I, if I say I can't hunt my best spot because I have crap wind, but I want to go hunting. Okay. I know I've been in this section of public land a couple times. I had some cameras out. I have a general idea where I want to go but I'm not going to sit in the tree until I find something that says you need to sit in this tree. Or if it's a morning hunt, like I have a, a couple spots in mind with that wrong wind. Like I'm, I'm always trying to think of like, if the, if I get the worst of the worst situation right. um, for my best spots, what wind direction can I go to a spot and feel like I'm not wasting my time? I, I'm, I'm at least in the game. And I, I have a couple spots on some public land near my house that this year that, if I say it's the second Saturday in October and it's a morning hunt and I don't put a lot of weight on morning hunts in October on the private pieces that I have, but I want to go hunting. I, I, I don't care. I will go hunting. And I know there's mature deer there. You might connect on something. I know there's not a lot of strategy to that, but at the end of the day, when you're working full time with kids, yeah. go have fun. Enjoy hunting. Yeah. I like that dude. What for your pr- property, especially the ones that you're managing and doing all that stuff. What are you doing to limit your mistakes? Uh, I, first of all, I collaborate with my hunting buddies all the time because they put me in my place all the time. (laughs) Um, And I need that. I need that. I get some off the wall ideas and want to do this. And um, you got to keep in mind my, my uncle, who is my closest hunting buddy. uh, We butt heads all the time because we're family and he, tells me I'm wrong a lot. And then, you know, I, I get, get, uh, go all stubborn, but I mean, it, it's a great relationship. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I really wouldn't. But anyway, um, I try to collaborate with them and I, I feel like on private land, not rushing things. Okay. And what I mean by that is like, I have a good history. We have a good history hunting this specific piece of land. I have an idea of when I should expect good movement, good use in certain areas of the property and just trying not to get over anxious for those spots. Like you don't want to wait too long and it's, it's a balance. And a lot of time I don't get it right anyway, but like I I know when it's a marginal wind direction on certain spots, I'm not going to go burn my best spot out. Um, that's, that's a hard question to answer because I feel like throughout the years, I can remember more of my mistakes than my accomplishments. No doubt. What you're saying too, is like not to burn that spot out. I just, man, that just screams my mistakes as well. You know, when I think about if I go hunt public land with say here in central PA and I don't see a single deer or whatever, and it's like next week and I'll come home that evening. And like, if it's opening day, say, and I don't see a deer or something, I'll be like, next week I'm going home. Like I'll tell my wife already, I'm going home next weekend. And those spots back at home, I mean, I've seen deer 
early October and I've had opportunities in early October over the years. But like you said, man, if I were to wait until the end of October and that's the thing, the learning curve that I've learned going through some old trail cam data and putting in the wind, the temperature, all this information, man, I know from October 23rd until the 31st, that daylight time picture of bucks is really good. At least one, maybe a couple per day in that kind of that week, that time frame, And then it dies off a little bit. You'll still get a nice, a big mature buck, say November 3rd. Don't get me wrong. You'll still get that like crazy. But then like the eighth through the 16th, like that next, you know, eight days or whatever it be, man, it's like on fire again. You know, like that. Well, I think another thing you got to take in context too is like, are you targeting a specific deer or are you hunting an area where there's a couple mature buck and I'm not as picky? Like, that's a whole other thing when you yeah. talk about context of hunting strategy. Yeah. Like, a couple of the private pieces, I'm I have specific deer in my minds and I, I, I will see what they've done in years past on cameras and take information to collaborate because, you know, let's say you're hunting a specific deer. And I just said earlier, I don't, I might not always put a lot of weight in my morning hunts in October. Well, if you've got a morning hunt in October and for a few years, there's a stretch from October 15th to the 20th where he's hitting a scrape in a certain area in the morning on your cameras for the past two years. Um, that just, that just changed everything when we were talking about strategy. Um, but I mean, when you talk about burning your best spots out and you're kind of in a general sense, you're going to hunt an area when it's hot kind of deal. And it's, yep. I feel like we talk about the stuff with chasing mature deer. We're trying to strike when the iron's hot. And sometimes you can really, really overcomplicate this. Yeah. Like I overthink this all the time. And at the end of the day, deer need food, deer need security, deer need water. And, if you put those three things in common, guess what? There's going to be times where you go out and you get beat, but it's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I like that, man. So you shot, was it when, when did you shoot that 170? Uh, that was in 2020. So I came from 2020 being one of my best seasons. And then 2021 was a rough season, but yeah, yeah that was uh two years ago. Last year was a rough season for a lot of people though. So like, mm. like not only, here in Pennsylvania, I have friends in, in New York. Just last year was just an odd, odd year. And I mean, for me, for, man, I, I even struggled seeing doe, especially here. So like the year prior, like 2020 in central PA, some of the public land spots that we were, we would go in, man, it was, it was like, like, do, 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 like just does were everywhere. It was like a circus. And then last year, I mean, it took like the second week of, like of October on a freaking cold morning, rainy morning. And that was the first doe that I saw. Like it was crazy. Like here in central PA and I don't know, man, or actually I think it was the third weekend. Cause the second weekend last year I went home and I saw deer, yeah. like I saw deer on, on the private land. And, uh, I, I learned my lesson. I got my doe tag for, for 4C because <laughs> I was like, you know what, if I'm driving two and a half hours on the weekends, I want to at least have an opportunity and foresee the last two years has sold out that first round, which is crazy. Um, so yeah, so I, now at least I'll have an opportunity, uh, to shoot at least a doe. And I've, I feel like for me, that's helping my game plan a little bit more because I scouted new areas back at home on the private and other things like that. So 
keeping those spots that I don't burn them, you know, when the mm-hmm. really good time is. So, yeah, but, man, I just – last year was a tough year in general for pe- for people. It, it gets worse when you make it worse for yourself because oh, no I doubt. had so many misses and blunders. I literally – I'm not lying. I didn't actually get a deer – until the last day of statewide flintlock season. I didn't fill a tag until that Monday. It was that bad. I had so many misses and blunders. It was like weighing on my confidence. And then I shot a, I shot a doe with my flintlock the last day. And of course it was one where like, there was a group of six of them and this, this doe came out. I'm like, I'm going to nail her. You know, she, they went behind this big red Oak and she stepped out boom, and I shot and I was like, and I heard, I, I heard it hit her. I heard her, you know, scream. Yep. I was like, well, I, I got it. And uh, I get up to it and it's, it's the doe fawn. They switched places oh when they got gosh. on the other side of the tree. So I'm like, it took me all year. And I shoot a stinking fawn. I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, uh, what is happening? Dude, it was for me, it was that Saturday. It, and mm. I, I did it with, with the bow. Cause it was, you know, obviously it's that late season archery too. I, for me, it was, it was archery. I, and man, it was freaking tough. I mean, I, 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 cause we got back, I'm trying to think I got back from ATA and then I hunted a day or two and then it was that Saturday and that's when I was able to finally, it was like right towards last light because I knew I was teaching again on Monday, so I couldn't go out Monday. So it was either Saturday was make or break the last day. And luckily like at the skin of my teeth, I got it done. Yeah. So, I mean, I was in the same boat as you, man. I was grinding. I was at full draw, like middle of November on a, it was during the, during the, the rut and it was, this buck came flying up. Uh, chasing like these does the doe came up maybe like three minutes beforehand and I just I was ready and he he was starting to come on that same path and then all of a sudden where the doe was coming like almost right at me and she kicked over like on another deer trail basically and at like that position would have given me like maybe a 27 yard shot and he came into like 35 on kind of jogging in mouth open dogging her and next thing you know, it, as soon as I was going to try to get him to stop, it was behind like just a couple big thick trees and branches. And I was at full draw and he just like kind of skirted like totally away from me. Like just had no idea I was there maybe. And that was it. So it was like, man, I've, this just was a struggle bus. And then, like I said, once January came, I was finally able to, to get that dough down. But man, I couldn't be more proud and more ecstatic because it was, it was a season, dude. Yeah, I think you got to have them. And, like, I, I can't – 2020, I felt like if I looked at a deer wrong, it died. And then last year I couldn't kill one to save my life. So it, it humbled me a little bit. Yeah, well, that's how I feel, and that's what really made me attack this off season as far as scouting goes. Like, I really put in a lot of time, even this summer, even now. Like, tomorrow after school, I'm going to be going to a couple, you know, public land pieces. I'm going to put out another camera. I'm going to check a camera that I have. And just again, like how you were saying for every bad situation, I want to be ready for something at least to get out and maybe, you know, at least put a dough down basically. So I'm trying putting in as much effort and it's like, not that obviously putting in the time gets you a deer, but man, it's like you put in the work, you're like, something's bound to happen. Hopefully. You, yeah, but one of the things I feel I've I've fallen trapped to is like you, you you listen to a lot of the the people who you respect in the hunting industry, whether that's uh, YouTube, television, podcasts, whatever. 
and you're, you're striving to learn as much as you possibly can with the mindset that this is going to make me a better hunter and I'm going to be more efficient. And there's truth to that because you can learn a lot from, from the array of fantastic hunters across this country. But at the end of the day, you cannot be time in the woods, boots on the ground, learning stuff yourself and applying it. Mm-hmm. I, I did a podcast that um, I didn't launch it yet. Um, but I, I'm going to with Johnny Stewart, um, and I was asking him specific questions, and there was times where he got he'd give me answers that were kind of kind of general, and I think it was because that man spends so much time in the woods. There's no finger pointing that this is specific and this is not kind of deal. I don't know if that makes sense, but like I was just infatuated by the level of knowledge that somebody has about the amount of time they spend in the woods. Like my show is our show is called the Pennsylvania woodsman. And that's by no means meaning that I'm the best Pennsylvania woodsman. I'm trying to learn to be a better woodsman. And there's uh, there's just, you cannot, you just can't beat it. I, I mean, the more time you spend in the woods, the more you learn. And it might not mean more bone on the wall or meat in the freezer, but uh, it's, it, it sure helps. Yeah. It's, it, it's almost like just adding more, more tools in your toolbox, just because I'm th- like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of you, man, like getting things so right on a private piece and then going on to a public piece. But I feel like you're taking what you already know, you're learning more. So, like, your level bars are just going boop, 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 up. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, look at this. And you're going to see, hey, look at how this deer is maneuvering around this ridge. And look at that scrape line, who, or, or rub line, who, look at this scrape here. Like, you're gaining so much more knowledge and arsenal that, you know, like you said, the only way you're going to know that is by getting boots on the ground. I'd like to think so. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people like to talk about um, how good of a hunter talk about in the sense how good they hunt their own. They've, they've only hunted a certain handful of properties. And um, I've probably fallen trapped to that too, but I, I've learned like I need to get outside my comfort zone, hunt some different places and, and, and try and learn. And the thing that I learned the most here recently is my tactics um for private land versus public land have a lot of differences. Okay. Um, while the concept of, of a mature deer or deer in general, where the, you know, bed feeds feel secure, all that stuff, while that doesn't change, um, you know, I feel if I'm going to be in the game on public land, I got to get as close to, um, a security area as possible and not be afraid to bump some deer. And, on, on private land, like, Oh my goodness. If I see a tail, I'm like upset because that's going to chain reaction. Like I, I'm going to have to improve something on this area of, of, of access because, Oh my goodness. Like there was a deer that could see me at that one section that wasn't blockaded off, off well enough. Like I go into like panic mode that I'm going to bump deer off of, of that property. And you know, you know tiptoe and, and I've, I've learned from other people that sometimes the best thing you can do, like, and I think I'm going to do this this year if I don't learn something on cameras. But when I go to, you know, I go up to state, upstate and go to camp, let's say I've got three days that I go up again. Last year, um, I tiptoed around a couple spots and then realized that by the end of it, I should have been sitting here. Yeah. And I've kind of taken the mindset, like, I'm going to bust some brush and I don't care if I chase some deer the first day. I'm going to figure out where the best sign is on day one. And the woods are big enough. I'm just might run into something on day two or three, but I got to find it on day one. I can't find it on day three. I want to spend time in the tree 
day two and day three. Like, does that make sense? No doubt about it. Because you're, th- you know, that I think in the, my past, you would look at a spot on the map and go, that's where I'm going to go tomorrow. And you just go there, right? Like you said, day one and you plop up and you're in the stand, you might see something you may not. And then you get down and you're like, well, there's really not even like a crazy deer trail here. There's really no sign that's telling me there's deer here. And that's the podcast. See, even that, that dropped today from, uh, with us, with, with Zach Farrenbaugh from mm-hmm. THP. And that we talked a lot about that because the one thing when I met Zach in, in July at a teach and train tour event, you know, when I was saying about what, what, what are you doing now? Like you're in Colorado. Are you even, are whitetail even on your mind basically? And what, like, how has that evolved? And he's like, man, I just, I try not to scout as much say for whitetail preseason in a sense, because he's like, man, that's when you're, you'll, you'll find that area and go, man, this is where I'm going to go come October 18th you know, that's where I'm going to be. And maybe that's not even the right spot for you. So he's like, you get married to an area or to a spot. He's like, and do exactly what we were just saying. He'll just, if he knows day one, he's going to go scout and find that area. And if it's the right spot and it looks like deer are here now, guess where he's going to be that night and guess where he's going to be day two. And then if he sees and there's not enough, go further and expand on that. And that's exactly kind of the, a little bit of philosophy that I want to improve upon and, and do better moving forward. You got to love guys like Zach Farnball who go against the grain and yeah. against the norm of your typical bow hunting. I mean, I mean, he, I heard him say it on a podcast on a show one time, like talking about like you, you can't ground pound whitetails and do that. And he's like, well, it just makes me want to do it more. And he's done it so many times. It's just like that logic of how you go about it is, is just so different. And I, I just feel like over the years I've, I've, come up with these ways that like, this is how you do things. And I won't go outside of that. And in certain cases, I mean, that just might not be the prescription you need if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. What have you, uh, when you knocked down your, your 170 in 2020, what were some of the tactics and strategies or, you know, <clears throat> go run, run through that hunt because I'm, I'm dying to hear that story. I mean, I'm sure you told it a hundred times, but I'm, I want to know, man. I'll tell it 101 times, man. <laughs> I, that, that, that was an incredible experience. So um, Cause, I tried to give you the condensed version. Because here's but, the other piece. I don't mean to cut you off. When, when you were no, you saying, it, like when you were talking about the areas and the time frames, and I was saying, like, I'm more of a generalized buck. Okay. Like mm-hmm. last year, I got a, the biggest buck of my life on, on camera, and I saw him at night. Okay, like leaving. And I wouldn't say I was hunting that buck per se back at home, but man, chasing one buck could only be, I could only imagine what that sucker it feels like. You know what I mean? Like that adrenaline, that rush when you know, hey, he's not only on this camera once, but twice, maybe three times, and you're piecing that puzzle together. So when you say that, like, that's why I'm so eager to hear your story. So that that's why I want to. I wanted to just throw that out there because again, I've never had the opportunity where I could sit there and say, that is my guy. And I've know where he is and and that type of ordeal. Yeah. That year there was a couple, there was, there was two other buck that come to my mind at this moment in time that I would have shot on the other property. One of them died opening nights. I had one buck. And I remember the one night I couldn't sit for my 170 with the wind direction, but I could sit at a spot where I thought I could shoot this other buck. And I was, I remember going there and sitting in a tree. I was like, 
if he comes by, I'm definitely going to shoot him. But there's a part of me that's like, I don't want him to come out because I still want to shoot this 170. <laughs> and I didn't know he was 170 at the time. But anyway, um, I bought my house and ha- it had a, a small piece of woods on it that connected a, a block of timber behind some suburbs and then you know, ran a fence line out and kind of goes out to some ag fields. And the first year when I, when I, that was 19 when I bought the house, I didn't do anything for hunting and I didn't, I really wrote it off for hunting. I stuck a camera out in the beginning of hunting season and this beautiful uh, mainframe 11 pointer shows up. And I was thinking he was probably like 140 inches. And right away I threw a stand up. I actually saw the deer twice in the hoof that year. I saw him uh, one morning in archer season, didn't get him killed. Oh, no. Yeah, morning in archer season, didn't get him killed. And then I ended up killing a buck with a rifle in Lycoming County the first day. And then um, I hadn't seen that deer for a while. And then I, I went to try to shoot a doe in the late season in December at my house. And when you know what, I saw like 14 deer that night and wasn't one of the deer this buck. And I'm like, well, he made it through gun season. Wow. So um, a couple of key things. Now, you got to keep in mind, my, my wooded property I have, my lot is 1.3 acres, and my wooded area is half of that. Now, in the time from 19 to 20 transpired, I got to know my neighbors, and they let me do whatever I want on their piece of wood. So in total, I've got like an acre and a half to two acres of woods. And um, what I had as far as information, that deer would show up uh, like on camera and he was in daylight. The first time I saw him, he was like right after daylight and he'd be there for anywhere from 24 to like 72 hours, morning and evening. It was like he went through that area, was checking the, the local doe groups in that area. Then he was gone for 10 days, and then he'd do it again. He was there for 36 hours the next time, and he just did that throughout October. I think the first picture I got of him was October 17th. He was there the 17th, 18th, 19th. He was there then the 25th, 6th, and 7th, and 8th, and then I might have had him one other 24-hour time frame, and then he was gone. I didn't get another picture of him all November um, and not until the end of December. And that's not a lot to go off of, but in my mind, I thought I didn't see that deer all summer long. I, I didn't even know about him. I thought I'm going to take what I got and I'm going to roll with it. So the following year I decided I was going to, I planted a food plot. Um, I cut specific trails and blocked certain trails off on my property to try to get deer to just take the path of least resistance closer for a bow shot. And then the last thing I did, um, I actually put a water hole in it at my house. Okay. And there, it's, it's a dry area. There's zero water um, from the, the block of timber where there's bedding um, through my wood lot all the way out to ag fields. And I thought, oh, that might be something that just might, might, uh, might help. So fast forward to 2020, I had, uh, I got a picture of him. Not, I, I had camera out all summer. I didn't see him um, until opening weekend at nighttime, he was chasing doe. And then uh, I kid you not, he did the exact same thing in 2020 that he did in 2019. He showed up in this one time frame. And the, the funniest part about it was um, I had a cell camera at one spot. And I, I got his picture a couple of times. Of course, that's irking because it's really close to where I live. Um, but. <laughs> The one day I drove home, there's a section at the time from the road you could see up into my woods. And I'll never forget, I pulled into my driveway at 5.30, 5.45 the night before I killed him. And the booger was standing up there in the woods. I could see him. It was like 
first of all, I hope nobody else saw him. But second of all, I'm like, like you, you've got to be kidding me. And then uh, I, I got a picture of him the morning of October 23rd. I got a picture of him at my water hole. And that week was freaking hot. The last week of our, the second last week of October was in the eighties. Like I was soil testing for my job. Um, and I was sweating. I had a t-shirt on. I was sweating and it was strange that he was up and about, but anyway, he was, and that morning, seven o'clock in the morning or six thirty, whatever it was just before daybreak, he was at the water. And I thought that deer is not going to go far. He's going to bed somewhere very close tonight. And the reason, and I didn't hunt him that morning. I actually was standing in the driveway checking the wind, and it was wrong. It just go in and, and book this deer. He's around. I cannot screw this up. I've got one opportunity. I got his picture, and then that night I had a better wind, and I killed him. He actually followed a group of doe in and wow. came right to my water hole at 20 yards, and, and I shot him, and he, he actually fell over on my property. It was it was like nothing I would have ever believed. And there was no ground shrinkage. I mean, I thought when I looked at pictures of him, I thought he's probably in the one sixties for sure. And, uh, I, I put a rough tape on him that night and I got one seventy four, and I'm like, there's no way. So I did it again and I got one seventy four. and I, you know, don't ever trust anybody that tapes their own deer because they're always generous. Um, so I had somebody else tape it later and they got one seventy. So it was, wow. it, I learned a lot from that experience it was neat targeting one deer um it, it was yeah it was really really just crazy I, i'd never would have believed that a deer of that caliber was there so what do you think how how did that knowledge i mean obviously it played a massive role but like going into that evening were you like this is going to happen I actually was like, I'd seen him the night before and had pictures of him. I had a picture of him that morning and I, I truly felt I was going to see him. I mean, I didn't know if it was going to work out and I was going to kill him, but, um, I, I actually, the, the, if I remember correctly, the wind direction they were calling for was kind of marginal. And I had a tree stand set up that would have been, given me a little bit more wind advantage um, but it was actually, it actually wasn't a tree stand. It was a saddle set up. I had steps going up this other tree and I actually went over to my buddy's house that, that day and was practicing out of my saddle cause he had a tree set up to practice. And he's like, what is wrong with you? He's like, you're, you're, you're not shooting the way you normally do. And I'm like, I'm, I'm shook up. I think I'm going to kill this deer tonight. Like I, I was shaking all day long thinking about it. <laughs> and then I actually, when I went in to, to sit, I actually, uh, had a little bit of a better wind than I thought. And I went to the main stand that I had, which is only, you know, 40 yards apart, but I, I went to that stand and I'm glad I did. Cause I sat in the tree and he was, he was there. Uh, he was there at 20 yards and that was the, uh, that was the end of it, man. It was an incredible experience. Dude. How did you uh, manage your emotions? <laughs> I called, I, I called all the people I'm closest to. I called my, called my wife i called my uncle i called my dad i like called everybody and i was like i'm i'm losing it and i'm like i'm, I'm glad i have a lifeline in this tree stand because <laughs> it's uh, it, it would be it would be danger zone oh man dude i love hearing that I, and i like those like there's a lot of work that you put in to get there to that specific spot because you were saying the year prior you got some pictures of them on camera and then 
you know, fast forward, you, you knew he made it through gun season. And then it wasn't until that October that you got him back on camera again. How did you know, like you said, he was doing the exact same pattern. Like what triggered that, that you were like, okay, he's doing this again. Now it's go time. Cause I feel like that, it, that could be, whether it be a new hunter hunting on, on their own property, like you're saying, like not to booger up that spot. Like, how do you know, go, go in now? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So in a, in a sense, I sort of didn't. Um, however, I decided since the woodlot that I was hunting, since it was so small and I didn't want to ruin anything, I was, I, I decided I was going to use a cell camera on certain spots. And I had, uh, I set one of them up at the water hole and I set one of them up, um, on, on the ridge on the, the adjacent property I had permission to, on a well-traveled trail, um, I put a mock scrape there and I, I used cameras and just decided that way I'm not going in here. I'm not pulling cameras constantly because this is an area that it, it, it would be intrusive to go in there. I mean, there's, there's properties that I know you can drive on, you can walk on and pull cameras and you're probably not going to have an impact. And they're probably a little bit more suburban they're they're agricultural properties and it's away from the cover but the the location i was i there's i i mean i if i would have went into some of those spots for a camp just to pull a camera card and see when that time frame was was coming um i felt like that would have been too intrusive so i i literally killed that deer the second time i sat for him the first time i sat i went in on a morning hunt I got a picture of him the night before and thought, you know, he, he cruised through here. There's a chance he hung around till morning. I'm going to stick with that. And, uh, I didn't see him that morning. And then the next time I hunted him was the night I killed him. Wow. Dude, that's awesome. That is so cool. I just, man, yeah. I, I, it, it, it's just a cool story to hear that it is less than what, would you say two acres? Yeah, it was about two acres of wooded access that I had yeah. um, between mine and that. Like I said, it was it was very much a I don't want to put this a like too good to be true type setup. But I mean, I took what little I had and then yep. took you know the hunting information that I have learned and just put it and just just happened to work. So unfortunately, it doesn't happen now like that all the time. But <laughs> I was I was glad it happened on the buck of a lifetime. Yeah, dude, man, that's awesome, man. I hope that something similar happens this upcoming year for sure for you. What uh, when when people ask you and because I know, man, it, you know what's crazy is we're already over like wh- an over an hour, which is amazing. I love it. This is like it's going so good. What when people say about being from PA? and the history, the tradition, you know, I believe we're one of those states that has that kind of lore to it. What does it mean to you, like, to say, hey, I'm a PA hunter? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pennsylvania hunting is just a unique, a unique thing. I mean, we've got so much heritage like you said and i mean i'm part of hunting camps where the the hunting places that we've gone where you've got that history of 30 years of hunting that spot and uh you know that that's where you know your, your cousin or your uncle or whoever constantly went to that spot for 30 years and you've got memories there 
Um, but a lot of those memories were of deer running themselves to death when they, when it was gun season. And, you know, I, I remember my uncle telling me stories. He's like, I swear there were deer back then that ran themselves to death because they just kept running from one hunter to the next and kept getting shot at and they just ran themselves to death. But, you know, they, you know, a lot of, a lot of spikes and forkies and stuff. And like now, you know, I've heard so many people talk about how the, the deer populations ruined and the game commission did this wrong and blaming everybody else. And I'm like, the places I hunt, I don't think we've ever had as good of deer hunting here now as like as ever. I mean, it. Yep. I, I think this state is fantastic for deer hunting, and it's getting better all the time. No doubt about it. I couldn't agree more with you. And it's funny because that's exactly you know what it was like for me growing up. And man, it's funny because on a personal level, the hunting is a whole new meaning and feel for me because of the relationship that it's kind of rejuvenated with my father because you know I grew up as my father being my hunting you know you know idol basically you know someone I looked up to and I couldn't wait to hunt with and do things with and then you know as a young teenage boy and the living situation and you know my parents were divorced and everything like that you know just different things in life took me down a different path and as a young adult, I knew once time kind of settled in and I could get back into it and, and love it as much as I did in my youth. And man, I'll tell you what, Mitch, it's brought so much joy and love and, uh, just, you know, a, such a great relationship bond with my father again, that I, I'm so thankful for it. And it just, it, it is, it, it's that heritage, it's that tradition. And man, my dad and I, we talk every freaking day now. And obviously we talk about hunting every day, but it's just good to hear his voice and talk and build that relationship again. So like for me, the heritage is obviously there and experiencing like the hunting camp and going, you know, growing up and the whole rifle, like you were saying, and deer just basically running themselves to, to death. That is all there still. But on a personal level, I'm hoping that you know, if my daughter wants to hunt one day, I'm all for it. She wants to do it. You know, she wants to get a, a crossbow to at least get out there and, and, and shoot a deer this year. She has her license and a doe tag and everything. But I hope, I hope she gets the relationship with me and that I have with my dad now. And, and, uh, I'm very thankful for that for sure with my, my relationship with my dad now. So that it means a lot to me as well. Absolutely. And like, you know, we, we've talked a lot about private land hunting and my, you know, my, my big buck that I killed on private land. And I talked about other places I hunt and my mindset there is, is very much like, I, I know what's there. I know there's good buck. I think I've got great potential to shoot a good buck. I've put so much stress and pressure on myself to the point that sometimes it's like, you got to scale back because you're making it not fun for yourself. And one of the things that I've realized has just helped with my mental health and just made me realize like, it's not all about shooting the biggest buck is in rifle season. I go to camp now and where, where my camp is at, we actually are in a overlap of bear and deer opening week. Okay. So I, I, I said years ago growing up, I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool if we could get a group of guys the first week and make some pushes. Well, I, now that I'm out of college and I started hunting there more, I finally am like, look, this is who's coming. If they want to come, great and be a part of this. And, 
you know, first year we did it, we started making some drives and we got a buck, we had a bear miss and we saw other deer. And, and last year, like the amount of guys, like we, I think we added like seven guys in one year to the point where I'm like, I don't know what to do with all these guys. And <laughs> they love it. It's like, it's my favorite hunt. And do we, do we kill a lot? No. Do we see stuff? Yeah. Do we have a lot of fun? Yeah. I mean, it's, that became one of the most fun hunts of the year because we, afterwards, a hard day of hunting. We went back to camp. We all have a big meal together. We drink some beers. We, you know, you know, say prayer over the meal and say a prayer for thanks over the day. It's like, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And it's like, you know, if I didn't shoot the biggest buck in the world this year that I was after, but I got to go do that hunt. I'm pretty blessed. I'm pretty happy. Yeah, no doubt about it, dude. That's awesome. Now, to wrap things up, Mitch, what talk about your podcast a little bit of what you have going on. What do what could someone expect if they're not already tuning in uh, to your to your podcast? Yeah, so Pennsylvania Woodsman, um, our goal is to try to talk about all things Pennsylvania outdoors. You know, we just spent an hour talking about deer hunting and archery hunting, and that's obviously my favorite thing in my niche, but I try not to make this the, the Mitchell Shirk show. I should definitely try to make it as much well-rounded uh, outdoors. It's like I got, uh, you know, we we did some, we do stuff with uh, all big game. You know, I, I talked to the state air biologist. Um, I got an episode coming out here. We're going to be talking about bow fishing. I, I do a little bit of everything to try to be well-rounded. Now, I, I do, um, I do talk about private land i talk about food plots i talk about you know how to make quick, good quality food plots and subjects around that just because that is my career mm-hmm. but i mean um you know if, I, if i'm just the food plot guy that talks about uh pennsylvania hunting and fishing and all that stuff you know that's that's probably what you could expect but our, i mean our show is uh it's the same place you'd find um all of jeremy's on here on antler up and um, we we're on the sportsman's empire network we have uh you know i guess it'd be spotify itunes and, and google play um pretty much anywhere you can find your podcasts and uh we're on social media pennsylvania woodsman podcast on instagram and facebook uh yeah so it's it's been an interesting ride. I have to say this has not been of anything I would have ever dreamed of doing, but it's been fun. It's been fun talking and meeting guys like yourself and, and just getting to know people and making connections in the outdoor world. I hear you, dude. That's exactly why what I love, like we were saying earlier, some of them, uh, that that's just been one of the best pieces about it and networking and getting a chance to grow as a as a person, as a hunter. So no doubt about that, Mitch. And what day does the episode uh, air on? Fridays, Fridays. Fridays. Awesome. So yeah, everybody tune in. Uh, I, I think, uh, to wrap things up then Mitch, let's do this. I'm going to do a quick rapid fire to you. Best time, mm. best time to put in, oh man. Cause I'm, I, I'm going to butcher this stuff. If you want to kill a deer over some food plot stuff. So like, let's say in October, when's the best time to plant that? Uh, probably August, depending on the rains. I'm usually shooting for the first two weeks of, of August in a perfect world. All right. Are you ready for this upcoming season? Absolutely. Uh, stuff was planted. We're delayed because of the amount of rainfall. I don't have the biomass I want. Um, we're going to overseed with some cereal grains here, uh, very shortly, but the, the first half of what we do in the fall, yeah, it's, it's done. It's in the ground. Awesome. Uh, let's go with, uh, let's see. What are some quick rapid fire questions I could give at you? 
Uh, what's your arrow setup? Are you what's your heavy light in the, in between? Where were you uh, cooking with with your arrow setup? I think it's either 460 or 480 grains. It's an Easton Axis 340 spine. I have a this one of those um, aftermarket steel half in half outs. I think it's like 80 grains up front, and I run a fixed blade broadhead. Um, three blade interlock carbon tuner. Um, it's been a broadhead that's been real accurate for me and had real good luck with. So I just wanted something with up front that had the structural integrity. I never liked those hidden inserts on those arrows just because I've had a lot of damaged arrows when I shot them the first time. Yep. And I just prefer fixed blade broadheads. I kind of know what I'm getting at with that sense. And um, you know, in my opinion, if you have your bow tuned up and everything else, it's really not a need for an expandable. Um, that's just my opinion. Yep. All right. So other than like, say your core archery equipment, so like your release and all that stuff, what is something that goes with you on every hunt? Uh, I hate to say it, but my phone, I, I, I hate <laughs> to say that. I, I feel like I'd love to just not take that, but uh, I, I feel like between work and then communication I have it with, but I mean, that's, I know that's definitely not what you were getting at. Um, Oh man, man, that's a tough question because there are times where I literally will go with my bow, my range finder, my release, and my binoculars. I'm going to say my binoculars. If okay. I go into the woods without a pair of binoculars, I feel naked, and I don't care what the hunt is, where it is. Um, I feel like I have to have binoculars. Excellent, man. I like that. That that's a good one. I, I'll I'll say this: binoculars have been a piece of gear over the last uh, five years that I've taken into the woods. That like you, if I don't have them now, I feel naked. And growing up, mm-hmm. it, growing up, obviously during rifle season, you have your scope. Basically, that was like what I use on private land and everything like that. So I really, sure. I didn't really have binoculars with me growing up as much. But uh, over the last five plus years, they they are definitely on me and and a must have for sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome, Mitch. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Uh, where could people find you? I know you said Instagram. So what is your Instagram handle and, and all that? Yeah, Instagram handle is Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. And it's the same thing on Facebook. Um, and then we, you know, our, our email stuff. But you find us there, you'll find all of our information. And like I said, we're on Sportsman's Empire. So you can find all all of our stuff there just the same. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Please go give Mitch and the crew over a, a follow at Pennsylvania Woodsman at the podcast. Great individual. Loved having this conversation. I can't wait till we could do another one because especially during the season, just to pick some uh, PA brains. And I'm sure what we'll do is down the line, Mitch, uh, maybe one night we'll go live on a bullhorn and we'll do a little PA episode where people could call in and video in and all that type of stuff. I think that would be pretty cool to see how the season's shaping up and what they're finding out there and kind of talk PA hunting if you're cool with that dude I'd be all game for that and I tell you what the next time you're in your 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 home turf there that's not too far for me why don't we just get together and do it in person I love it man let's do it all right everybody thanks for tuning in go give Mitch a follow and we'll see you next week until next time antler up